So, okay, turn in your Bibles to Romans 2, chapter 2. Um, last week we were in Proverbs 3 and 4, and two chapters that pretty much said the same thing over and over. And, and Solomon kept saying, now listen, my son, guard your heart with this wisdom. Take it with you everywhere. Bind it around your neck. Um, write it upon your heart. Don't, don't ever let it leave you. Let these words keep coming back to you so that you're obedient to them. So what are the three words of Proverbs? Listen, learn, and obey. And so now when we go into Romans, we see that this is the kind of advice, the counsel that he's saying, listen, learn, and obey it. And so um, in, in chapter 1, it was very obvious that, that, um, that in, in the first chapter, it was very obvious that he is writing a letter, and he wants us to start at the beginning with this letter, and he wants us to um, take it word for word, and so... Um, two weeks ago, as we ended this lesson, um, we saw that that Paul is very upfront about the fact that, yes, as human beings, we walk out of God's will. Sometimes we step over, and what's going to happen? We're going to get sucked into our weakness, and we all have one. And so wherever we seem to want, where self wants to take over, all you have to do is step out of the will of God or take him off the throne of your life or let someone cross your path and all of a sudden all all self takes over again and you will get just sucked up into the world's mold. You know, Romans 12, it, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. But the Living Bible says it. Do not let the world suck you into its mold. I think that that's such a, a good paraphrase. Don't, and that's a good way to look at it. It sucks you in. And so Paul said in the first chapter, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I mean, he is, he's saying, you know what? I dare say what needs to be said. And it's got me into trouble. It's got me into prisons. It's got me beat up. It's, he said, but you know what? I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it's the power of God that saves you. And so it has to be told. It has to be said. And he, he just put it right out there. And then he said, and don't tell me that, that people think that they have an excuse because they don't. If they really want to know God, all they have to do is look around. And then, then all they have to do then is say, who in the world did all this? I mean, so, you know, he just cuts to the chase and says, don't give me these puny excuses. Because you know what? There is none. God has made himself known. And all you have to do is look. And, but you have to want it, or you're not going to see it, you're not going to hear it, and you're not going to do it. And so then it will not change you. You know, people, people like their, Ruby and I were talking this morning on the way, people like their ticket to heaven. And then they think then they can go and live the way they want. And boy, they are, they just don't understand the, the importance of, of living the abundant life and seeking out godly counsel and wisdom and living the way he, he so created us to live how and why and for. And so Paul then says at the end of this chapter one, he says, okay, um, this is what happens. I want you to be aware of, because sometimes that's half the battle when you're made aware of it, that if you aren't walking with the Lord, you're going to walk with your own selfish desires and interests, and it's going to suck you in. And then he said, I want you to know that the Lord says, okay, you think you're so smart? I'll hand you over. 
I'll hand you over to your own desires, and let's see where that gets you. And so in the couple of verses, he says, and some of you have maybe a, a pull um, in the sexual area. And so he lays that right out there. But then he says the word furthermore. There's other ways. There's, there's other sins that maybe you don't see it quite as, as a big as the sexual sin. But he says, oh, come on. He said, um, maybe you have a problem with envy or jealous or maybe your thoughts or maybe you just are, have a negative um, um, attitude or maybe you um, have a deceitful attitude. Maybe you're manipulative. Maybe there's malice. Maybe you're a gossiper. Maybe you're um, maybe you're a slanderer. And and there's such degrees of this. So sometimes we look at it and think, oh, I don't do that. But if there's 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 um, um, anytime you lean in that direction. And so some he says, look, some are faithless, heartless, ruthless. You know, so, I mean, there's many. He tried to put it. In fact, he says um, um, there's even some that they invent ways of doing evil. You know, you will be sucked into evil. And so that he said, I'm going to make that very clear. And then today he says, okay, this is in, the, in his progression of this letter. He's saying, all right, now, let's say you know someone who has veered off course and they've been sucked up into their weakness. Now, he said, I have to now talk about this subject <laughs> because this is sometimes the tendency of, of religious people. They then think it is their job and it is, and that in, according to Galatians 6, and that's why I had you look, there is such a, there's Galatians 6 that said, if your brother or sister, if someone that you love has fallen into sin, Paul said, you are to go to them with gentleness and respect. Otherwise, be careful that you don't fall into the trap of, well, maybe pride. Because maybe, you know, self-righteousness looks like uh, I'm a little superior. I'm a little better. And, oh, man, I didn't do what you did. And he said, be really careful. So, yes, we are, we are so commanded to if someone, and, you, you know, out of our own heart, you would think that we would want to help somebody who has gone off the path. But do we put our arms around? Around them, I had that. I had that with a, a couple that I shared with you a little bit about, and and uh, they, their their child has fallen into um, a very noticeable sin, and they were telling me how they write him all the time, but he doesn't want to open up any of their letters. And I said, well, what do you put in those letters? Well, we just try to remind him that what he's doing is wrong, and. And I said, well, you know what? I wouldn't want to read them either. I wouldn't open them either. You know, he, they, he knows that already, you know. So, you know, do, do you ever um, just send a lot of unconditional love and grace? That's called undeserved favor that you received at the cross that they so need desperately. You know, have you, you've made it, made it clear that, yes, you're not condoning his lifestyle now, but are you making clear that, you know, that Jesus loves sinners and that he goes after them in a way of not condemnation, but out of love and grace? 
And so when Paul talks about Galatians 6, he says, you know, yes, some people need to be, and you should want someone in your life. You should want someone in your life that loves you so much that if they see that you're caught up in yourself and in your weakness, that they come along and say, you know what, maybe you don't even notice this. And I'm only going to tell you once. I'm not going to have to, I'm not going to tell you again. And maybe you know it and you're okay with it, and then that's your choice between you and God. But I am just here to say, I noticed if there's anything I can do, I will be glad to help you. You know, there's a difference when you come with your arm around them and you come in at them with the love of Jesus and you come at them with gentleness and respect. But this is not what Paul is talking about in Romans 2. And unfortunately, this is so what is so. That's why I asked the question, why do humans get so pulled into that feeling of superiority or that we look at someone else who's faltered or, and they're, they're floundering and they've, they're caught in that trap of their weakness? And you come at them, he said, that's why you, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same thing. So I know what you're thinking. What's the difference between Galatians 6 when you know that you're supposed to, you know, gently and respectfully come at them and, and point out to them in case they haven't seen it? Because you know that once sin grabs you, Unless you make a deliberate point to get out of it through the blood of Christ, you are, you are heading down. That's why you got to have someone in your life that loves you enough. And I mean, it's never pleasant to hear someone say, oh, I've seen this in you. But hopefully, you'll be grateful down the road because they've pointed it to you. But anyway, what's the difference? What's the difference between Romans 2 and Galatians 6? And the bottom line, this is what I kept waking up in the night last night. And the Lord kept drilling this word into my head. What's the difference between judgment, judging someone, and we're told not to judge, and then to correct them. And the, the, word, the word is your attitude, your motive. What is your motive Galatians 6, if when you do that, you are prayed up, you are holy spirited up, you are ready to have his tone, his fruit, his everything working through you. When, when you're caught in Romans 2, Paul says, you know what, you, all of a sudden that finger comes out and condemnation comes out and that doesn't win anyone. And so he said, and be careful, because the, in, in Galatians 6, Paul says, you know, not only do you do it with gentleness and respect, but you keep an eye open that you are not falling into sin yourself. And that's why I asked you, do you think you're as sinful as, as bin Laden? Do you think you're as, is, was your heart without a Savior? Did it look the same as Hitler? I mean, it's, that's, I really use two people that, I mean, we are aghast at their evil. And yet sin is sin in the Lord's eyes. And that's why Paul was so 
was so good and, and firm about, yes, we are to, to do that, but your motive's got to be pure. You, their best interest, you've got to love that person enough because it is not an easy task to do. But if you love them enough, you'll do it, yes, with gentleness, respect, but also you'll keep your eyes open that you do not have an element of pride or of self-righteousness. Because that reeks to high heaven. And so, yeah, it's necessary sometime, but always check who you're doing it for. Self-righteous, well, what's the key word of self-righteousness? What's your kicker itself, right? Yeah, righteousness, we love that word. And we know that we're only right in God's eyes through the blood of Christ. But the minute you stick a self in front of that, that's where it all goes to pot. And you get this, there's that human nature, that human pull, that, that you just feel a little better, a little superior, a little something. And there it just... So I said, what, what, does, what is self-righteousness, basically? I started you right off with the questions about that. What is self-righteousness? And it is simply, you know, when you have confidence in yourself, you have so much confidence in yourself, and it pretty much is all about you. And, you know, I looked up the word judgment when, you, when you're judging someone, and I noticed that, that words as synonyms um, to self-righteousness and judgment were things like um, ego, egotistical, hypocritical, sm- smug. I mean, you know, those kind of words, I just think, oh, that's the opposite of what I want to be like. That's why this chapter, Paul is very severe about coming at us saying, I want to check. I want every one of you to check. Are you real? Or are you, are you living out this West Michigan community church on every corner kind of, um, I, you know, that, that kind of feel? You've been in church all your life. I mean, you've got this this thing in your mind. In fact, I had one gal last night who, who came up to me and said, I always thought I was born a Christian. She really did. She thought she was born one because she was born into a great Christian family. She was raised since she was a baby. She thought she was born a Christian. I remember when I did a Bible study in a little church. It was a very stout conservative church. Dutch conservative church. Do I need any more adjectives to get you picture what I'm talking about? I remember when I started there, and um, I just really made it a point to, to introduce the study with uh, the principles of Jesus and salvation, and that every one of us needs to go to the cross of Christ. And you know, this is what makes us real. It's not the church attendance. I mean, it's you know that same thing, and. I'll never forget some of those ladies, and they were, they were, all of them were over 70. It was their ladies' aid, you know, and, and they, they said to me, well, we never heard that before, and that is sad. That is sad. You, I, that's why I said to them, I, said, I don't assume any group that I go in front of, I don't assume that everybody knows. 
I remember a, a minister once telling me, oh, you really got an easy job. And I said, I got an easy job. He says, oh, yeah. He says, you just go around to different churches, and you can, you can, you know, do the same thing over and over again, you know. And I, I thought, you were so wrong. But I didn't argue with him. But then he said this. Then he said this. He said, you know, I, I'm stuck here, and I can't, I can't preach about Jesus every week. And I, I, I could not believe my ears. I'm thinking, what is this church here? And good thing I'm here tonight, you know? I mean, you think they have, sometimes you have got to repeat. You've got to repeat the, the gospel story and that need for a Savior and that it's individual. It's not group. It's, it's not one particular church. You have got to take that walk to the cross of Christ because you know that you're a sinner. You know that you're one of the all. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and you have a Savior. I mean, th- this is, everybody's got to hear that. And it's got to be preached over and over because wonder if somebody wonder wonder if somebody turned their ears on for the first time. You can't assume. Oh, I, I'll tell you. I, I know I get it, get on this, but I keep going. I, I just read another thing about Billy Graham. He's got a he's got a verse that he he's he's so incapable of moving anymore and all that, and and yet he has his he has his kids put put Bible verses around his room with big letters so he can see them all the time. And his verse right now is, "May I never boast, but in the cross of Christ my Savior." <laughs> Don't you just love it? It just, it just, you know, it just brought tears to my eyes. I think to know that this man has preached the gospel his whole life, and yet what does he want on his wall? That I boast in nothing but of Christ and his cross. You know, that's and how how I look at him and think that no matter what, no matter where he was, no matter what he was preaching on, did he end it the same way every time? Every time. Why did he do that? Because that was his signature? No, because he knew that he couldn't assume that everybody heard the gospel. That it's the story. It's the story that starts the process going in your life. And so, I mean, that's why I keep telling my boys, don't ever preach a sermon without Jesus in it. Or I'm telling you... (laughs) It's going to be all over for you. Bill Bright was the same way, you know. I mean, we've got some, we've got some great people. We, I mean, you know, we've got some great ministers today that, that just see to it, that no matter what, no matter what they're preaching on, they, they make sure that you hear the gospel there are so many lost people in churches today, and they're hearing a lot of good things. But I'm telling you, they have got to be confronted with salvation. I just, I just think that that's lost today. Oh, there's a church on every corner, but there's a sinner in every seat that absolutely <laughs> needs a Savior. Yeah. Yeah. We all do. We all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So this is the message of Romans 2. That, that's why, I mean, some of these questions, I wanted you to take a look. Oh, wait, let's take a look at what self-righteousness looks like. I asked you, um, you, know, uh, you know, in the first question, when I said, what does it look like? And then I had you look at certain passages that gave you a really good look. 
But what does what word comes to your mind when you think of a self-righteous person? You think, what do they look like? What's their countenance like? When they come at you in condemnation, they come at you with that finger out. Oh, I remember. I remember one time a lady came up to me and told me about her son-in-law and daughter. They went to Christian school, and they, they um, you know, good kids, but you know what? They made it. They made a huge mistake, and they knew that they made a mistake, and she became pregnant, and so they went to a church that had to go before the board, and you had to ask forgiveness, and I'm thinking, I don't understand some of that stuff. But anyway, because where do you go for forgiveness? You go to the one who can forgive, you know. And there isn't any of us that can really do it like Jesus does. But anyway, that's their, that's their rule. But, you know, they, they were willing to go along with all that. They were willing to go along with all that. And, and because they knew that's, that's the way this, the church operated. And, but afterwards, one of the board members came up, and with that condemnation, with that finger in their face, he said to them some words that to this day they will never forget. And he, that, that kid, he walked out of his church. He'd been raised there. He'd gone there all the time. He walked out of the church that day. Never has been back. So I, I, I picture, I picture this, this board member coming up, and I, this is where I think I know what self-righteousness looks like, but I also better see it in my own face when I step out of God's will and I get on my high horse and I start feeling a little superior or whatever. Because, oh, but for the grace of God, <laughs> you've heard that. If it wasn't for God's grace, you and I, we would all be in the same boat. This, this, I think, I think you turn ugly. I do. I turn, I think you turn ugly. I think the most beautiful face can turn ugly when you get that self-righteous look. And not only is it ugly, but it's dangerous because look, look what it did. Look at the damage it did. And there are so many, there are so many people that, that say, I'm not darkening the, the door of a church, or I've got real problems with the organized church. All it does is tell me, where is grace? Where is unconditional love? What were you won over by? You know, I think of, of when, while I was still a sinner, Jesus was willing to die for me. I mean, I think of that. See, this is why, you know, Paul comes down when, when he says, you, therefore, you have no excuse. I mean, he is really tough language here, and we'll read it all. But, okay, now, I had you look up Luke 7. Love this story. One of my favorite stories. The sinful woman. The sinful woman wakes up one day and says, you know what? I've had it with this life. All of a sudden, she realized she's a sinner, and she realizes that there's someone going around saying that your sins can be forgiven. And she decides that today is her day. She knows that Jesus is, is around, and she's probably hoping he's going to be among thousands. But she finds out that he's going to be at Simon the Pharisee's home. And you know that that is by invitation only. And you know that Jesus is there only for them to pick him apart, trying to test him, trying to, trying to stump him. So you talk about it's just reeking with self-righteousness. And yet she doesn't say, you know what, I think I'll try it tomorrow. 
No, because today is the day of salvation. I mean, the Bible talks about that. Today is the day. Don't put off today what you don't put off till tomorrow what you can do to today because none of us knows what tomorrow is going to bring. And when it's something as important as your eternal life is at stake, I would say you get, you get things straight now. And she understood that. And so she walked to that home and she didn't have her little invitation card, but she got in there because God had a plan and had a, had a timetable for her. And she got in that door. And I think it also because she wasn't going to take no for an answer. Don't you love that? When somebody wants Jesus so much, they don't want to take no for an answer. They are coming no matter what. Oh, she is probably to me, one of the most special, um, jewels in all of the scripture. And I don't even know her name. I don't even know her name because I think down deep we are supposed to put our name in there because that should be every one of us that we come to grips with. We need Jesus so badly that we, no matter what, and she gets in that door and instead of, because remember Proverbs said, you keep your eyes going forward. You don't look side to side. You don't look back. Because if she would have looked side to side, what would she have seen? She would have seen the people talking about her, jabbing their ribs, all that kind of thing. You know that they rejected her. Now, what happens if you look at those? If you look right to your left and you look to your right, and if she saw all that rejection, what is your human instinct? I'm out of here. That's right. But with her eyes fixed on Jesus... And then you have, you, I, I, I picture this. Look at her face. Look at, look at that sinner's face. Look at that woman's face who knows she's a sinner. She comes and fixes her eyes on Jesus. You, I, what do you think, Jesus? I'd love to see his face because, oh, he, he, this is what he came for. And so he was just welcoming her. She even goes behind him because she's just so, she's so, um, well, she's so humble before him because she knows who she is. What, is. what is humility? It's when you stay in your right place and you keep God in his and you stay in yours. I tell you, you stay humble before the Lord. You don't ever have to think about self-righteousness. It, it can't happen when you stay in your proper place. Simon the Pharisee. Now, this is where it gets ugly because he is looking at her like the, probably all the rest of the invited guests. They were all looking at her with that same look. Oh, he said if he, he was thinking to himself, if, if, he, if he were who he really says he is, he would see what kind of woman she is and he'd get her out of here. So Jesus tells him a story, you know, Simon Jesus tried so hard with those Pharisees. He tried every means there was. See, that's the irony. That's the irony of religious people don't know who Jesus is, and it's the sinner that does. That's why don't you want your name to be on the, on the, on the sinful woman? Don't you want your name there instead of on the Pharisee? So... 
so Jesus tells, tells them this story. You know, there's a man that, there's two men that needed money. So the master loaned one fifty dollars and one five hundred. And, and so when they wanted to, when, when he wanted the payback time, then neither one of them could pay back. So um, what, which man do you think when, when the master said, I forgive you both, I'll, t- I'll pay your debt, I'll take care of it. Which man was the most grateful? And Simon said, well, of course, the one who owed 500. And Jesus said, yeah, you're right. See, the one who knows how badly they need to be forgiven is the one who loves me most. But you know what? Went right over Simon's head. Because you know what? He didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to know. He didn't want to be changed. He wanted to stay stuck in his self-righteousness. And then... Jesus went back to the the sinful woman and said, your sins are forgiven. Now go live it up. Go live in peace. What a great way to live. Just go. I took care of the worst thing. You go live it up now because I took care of it for you. And then there was in Luke 11. Look at Luke 11. Jesus tried with this. He tried saying, he tried putting a right smack in front of him saying, you know what? You are so spit and polished on the outside. But <laughs> you are full of greed and wickedness. So what, what does that remind you of? That, you know, self-righteousness can, can even look as spit and polished on the outside, but check their face. I bet these Pharisees and all their finery, I bet their face had no sparkle, had no joy, had no peace, no hope. Like the sinners who've been redeemed, who've been bought back. Luke 15, again, familiar passage. If you picture the face of the father, you picture the face in this prodigal you know, son story. You picture the, the father. You know that he was standing there waiting for his son to come to his senses and come back. And when the son came back, the, the father didn't say, oh, boy, you better shower first. I mean, this guy probably looked atrocious. He probably smelled even worse. And the father said, okay, look at, it, look at the countenance. Was he condemning? Did he have his finger in his face and said, why did you do that? Look at the mess you got yourself into. Look at, look at the consequences. No, this, my son, was lost and is found. That's what real looks like. You want to know what fake looks like? The brother. You look at his face, and it just shows dead giveaway. He's probably got that, you know, he's got those those wrinkles between his eyes and he's just so upset and he says to his father how come you're so excited he just missed the whole point of his brother being lost and now found and now you know we say well you know you gotta consider the fact that you're right he did stick with his father he worked hard for him and all that but come on the son realizes he's a sinner. He came back. He, he needs that love and that grace and no crabby pants there. He can't see anything but himself and that how he is mistreated and how he, he doesn't get all the attention. Look, he gets the fatted cap. He gets the ring. He gets everything. Look at me. I get nothing. 
When I say crabby pants, I'm, I mean it because that's what happens with self-righteousness. All you see is yourself. And you could put that in any, any part of your life right now. Because we all have something. And you can look at it and you can be Mrs. Krabby Pants and, and say to the Lord, why in the world would you do this to me now? And all this kind of thing. Or you can have the fruit of God's spirit minister to you and show that that can come out of you, characteristics that are so impossible on your own merit, but with the Holy Spirit. And you're going to watch in this chapter where Paul says, you know what, people are watching. Now, in Luke 18, you've got this rich young ruler. He has got everything the world has to offer. Come on. He's got his health, his youth. He's got, he's got all the money he needs. He's got um, power. I mean, if you ask, you know, like a lot of young people today, you think that's what they're striving for. That's what they're working for. That's where, that's where real life is. And yet, look at this story. It shows you, is this man satisfied? No, because God created us that we need him and that there will be an emptiness. There will be something that is not satisfied until Jesus fills it. That was, uh, that was very clever, and I'm so grateful that he made us that way, that he created us with that longing, that need. Something's missing. Because look at this rich young ruler. Everything the world had to offer, but yet something's missing. He is not fulfilled. He's not content. Something's wrong. So he goes to Jesus. What can I do? What can I do? And so Jesus, I mean, to this man, he goes after the jugular. I mean, and, but that's the way Jesus operates. He says, I'm going to see what is, what is your, what's the part of you that, that is going to be, that needs to be molded, that, that's your idol, that you think you can't live without, that, you know, that you're just hanging on to for, for dear life. And everybody, again, everybody's got something that he, I, I believe that God goes after and tells us and says, are you willing to give that up for me? Because I want to see if you really want this bad enough. And he knows this so well, so that's why it's different for everybody. And for this man, the Lord knew that this man's wealth was his stickler. And so the Lord said, are you willing to give that up for me? Are you willing to surrender? Are you willing to submit to me? And there's the key word. Are you willing to submit it all to him? And that and only that can make you real. But see, that, that submitting to the Lord just one time doesn't do it. You, it's something that, because why? I'm still human, and I step out of God's will sometime, and that weakness just wants to take over, and boom, there I am again. But hopefully, as we are growing in the Lord, he makes it clear quicker. I mean, or that we see it quicker. Now, this man, you know, he went away sadly. He couldn't give it up. He could not give it up. And, and that's the question. Are we willing to give up whatever he's asking? And then... And, and, you know, I, I have this rich young ruler. Oh, I, I have him really. He is one 
cutie pie in my mind. He is. I mean, you, you just know, you know, young, rich, powerful guy. He is, he's just, and you know, I look at his face as he's riding away. And all of a sudden, you know, that face isn't so cute. That's self-righteousness. And then Revelation 3, boy, this is, this is a tough one. And what does Jesus say? John, write this letter. Write this letter because this church, I mean, all seven churches needed a letter. But this one, this one to me is the saddest because here's a church that looks like from the outside that it's got everything except what? Where's Jesus? Standing on the outside, not going to let me in. I mean, really. All right. Why did Jesus and Paul come down so heavy against self-righteousness? And as I read more of the, this chapter 2, I mean, you can tell he is sparing no words. And why did Jesus and Paul come down so heavy on this one subject? Is because you know what? When you are, when you are, when self righteousness is taken over, guess what? You're fake. Isn't that hard to stomach? When self is in control, you are fake right now. You are not letting the Holy Spirit take over, and that chills me. When self righteousness, when that wants to rear its ugly head. <clears throat> that means you think you are self-sufficient. You think, I mean, what's the key? And I, again, I'm going to repeat just like they do repeat, is that you stay humble before the Lord Jesus. The second you think that, that you're not, I mean, <laughs> all right, here we go. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such thing is based on truth. See, God's judgment. We are not to judge. What are we told to do? You are to love them to Christ. You are to love them. Bonnie was reading uh, the fourth chapter of First John this morning, and 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 you know, John, why was why was he known as the disciple that Jesus loved? Because he's the only one that said he's the only one that said that about himself. Because he believed it, he understood what Jesus came to do. So he he looked at himself and said, "I'm the one Jesus loves." But that's the way we're all supposed to look at the love of Jesus. I'm the one he loves. So when John writes, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother. 
condemnation, finger in their face. Anybody who says that they love God, but they, but they, um, they yet hates their brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, yes, we are not to judge. We can't see someone's heart. We can't see in it. But I still say, you know, Galatians 6, we are still responsible. But it all goes back to, let's see, what's my motive and what, who am I doing this for? Whose best interest am I doing this Do I love this person that much that I want to see them back on track? Now, it's much easier to keep your mouth shut. It's much easier because at the end I have that question, okay, what do you think that this, this chapter was about? And one lady piped up, we are not to judge. And I'm thinking, oh. Yeah, we are not to judge. However, that's not the main principle. The main principle is, to, do we know that he loves us and self is our worst enemy? And that when self is reigning in our lives, we are fake when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. God's the only one that can see the heart. And when he judges and he's coming back to judge and he will judge on truth because he could see it all, just like he saw Simon the Pharisee's heart. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? He's pretty much saying, come on, it was God's kindness that won you. It was God's kindness that saved you. It was God's love that saved you. Now, that is what he is expecting to come from you. That doesn't mean you condone what they're doing, but that does mean that you do it with a love and a gentleness and a respect. And you don't pound and you say, you know what, I'm going to tell you this once, and it's up to you what you want to do with it. Sometimes God's kindness is timing, all of that. It's because he's wanting them to repent, and he knows. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteousness judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. Boy, that's an underlined verse to remember. Someday... Someday we are going to stand before Jesus. I don't think we think about that enough, that we are going to stand before him. Now, now I know that we can have our ticket to heaven, and, and, but if you don't take this seriously, if you don't take this counsel and listen and learn and obey and make it your life, you're going to stand in front of your Savior someday, and you're going to have nothing to give him. And God's going to give to each person according to what he has done. I mean, you know, what does that mean? Well, are there going to be prizes? Are there going to be rewards? Yeah, I think there are. And I think that someday, you know, maybe the prize, maybe the ultimate prize to me would, 
would be for my Savior to look at me and say, oh, man, I gave you a tough job, but you did it. I put you in a tough relationship, but I knew you would show Jesus. I know your body rattled with pain and misery and disease, but thanks, because people were watching and they saw Jesus. You know, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be the ultimate prize? Or, yeah, I, I, um, I know I, I took your, your other half way too early, according to you. Or I know, I know that accident happened and your life was never the same. But people were watching and you showed Jesus. And to hear him say, well done. Remember we learned last week where it says, consider hardships as discipline, that, that he's working those, those hardships. He's working those sufferings. And he's, he's using those because people are watching. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are stirring up wrath against. I mean, that, that's, you're going to get, God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. To those who by persistence, because it is, it's, it's that ongoing persistent choosing, I'm going to keep doing this, I'm going to keep. Remember, a successful spiritual day doesn't guarantee you one tomorrow. You've got to keep working at it all the time. But it will be worth it all because you, you will be given eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. I don't know how clear between Proverbs and Romans, I don't think we can get here any clearer. It's either one way or the other. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But there'll be glory, honor, peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. But well, that's not too hard to understand. Paul knows that, that the people of that day, they know that there are Jews and there are Gentiles. And he's saying straight across the board, you know, you reject this truth. This is what's going to happen. You accept this truth. I don't care who you are, whether Jew, Gentile, black or white. If people would see others through the eyes of Jesus, because he just cuts right to the you know, black and white, male or female, Jew or Gentile. Um, uh, Donna said to me last week, she's making it a practice to, when she sees somebody, she, she goes after their soul. She looks to their soul. She says, if I am concerned about their soul and, and speaking to their soul, then I don't see color. I don't see gender. I don't see, and it, it breaks everything down. And that's why the soul of man is so important. And Paul kind of talks about this here. He says, you know, the rules, the discipline, the, the godly counsel, the wise teaching, it's just straight across the board. I don't care whether you're corporate, if you are top, you know, top dog of the company, or whether you are, if you are cleaning the place. <laughs> I mean, and everyone in between, this is just so straight across. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. 
And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law, for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. You know what he means there? He says, I don't really care how many times you heard it. I don't care if you went to church every and you sat in your same little seat all the time and you just heard it week in and week out. And, and I don't care if you had devotions at every meal. And you heard those words over and over again. But I'm telling you, if you don't have it, let it change you, if you don't let it take hold of you and work into your soul and into your heart. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, and their consciences, and bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. Right now he turns to the Jew, and he says to the Jews, you know what, um, yeah, you had all those 700 plus laws, and, and Paul, I love it because he's the one that said, you know what, I followed every one of them. Legalistic righteousness, man, I was top of the line. And then he goes on, but I count that all now for nothing. Those Jews, they, or those Gentiles, they didn't have all those, you know, laws, and yet what Paul says, their law, the, the law of God's word, is now um, written on their hearts, their consciences. They're bearing witness. It's changed them. So he's saying, you know, don't go ride on the coattails of good church attendance or that you were raised in this or that you live in West Michigan or that you go to such and such church and all that. He's cutting all that through. He's saying, now, God is looking at you right now, just you. This will take place on the day when God will judgment secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Paul is saying, I told you. <laughs> and if you want to be an ostrich and stick your head in the sand and say, oh, judgment, that's not going to happen. Oh, you know what? You got to calm down a little bit. You, you know, you don't, you, you can't take this so seriously. Um, this, these are one, this is one of the lessons that, you know, it's hard. It's hard to do. I wish I didn't have to do it, but you know what? I dare. I woke up six times in the night with the Lord saying to me, don't, don't sugarcoat it. Don't water it down. There's going to be a day when, God's, when God will judge men's secrets. Hmm. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God. Oh, this is, this is, oh, this paragraph. If you know this will improve and what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a God for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you, you have the law and the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others. <laughs> uh, uh, when was the last time that what you're teaching others taught you? Hey, you, 
you are gonna, you can't bring people farther than you are. And I know you can fake it, you can, but, but you know what? Do you really want to fake it? Do you really want, do you really want that, that, uh, that you and the Lord know? Maybe no else, no one else does, but that fake, you, you're, you preach against stealing. Do you steal? You say that people should not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? This is the line. As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Your self-righteousness, you wear that name, and you, but you're walking around in your self-righteousness, and you're as fake as they come. I think Paul is saying, take the name off, because you're doing a bigger injustice by the way you're living and the way that you are not showing love and grace. And this hasn't changed you, but oh boy, you've got all the, you know, you're in this position, and you, that, that one paragraph. I just couldn't believe it. If you convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, you think you are so good. God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision is value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you become as though you have not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who even though you have the written code and circumcision are the lawbreaker. You are the lawbreaker. You can stand there in your high horse and your condemnation and in your, you can put someone else down because of the sin that they've fallen into. See, the fine line there is that you know, if you check your motive, if you check your love and grace, then Galatians 6, then yes, we are. If you love someone enough, then yes, we are to lead them back. But more than not, he is saying, you better check this attitude. You better check this self-righteous thing. We know that circumcision is something physically that people still do for health reasons, but that circumcision of the heart that Paul is talking about. Because, you know, Gentiles, they didn't have to be circumcised. That was not something that they had to do. And, and later in Paul's letters, oh, yeah, a lot of the Jews start a whole new thing with those Gentiles saying, yeah, you need Jesus, but you also need this and this and this. You need circumcision. And that's where all, it, all hell broke loose then. And he deals with that in many of his letters because people in their self-righteousness say there's more than just Jesus and his love and his grace. The circumcision of the heart, it's a cutting away of what? Of sin in yourself. Because remember, self is the culprit. To me, self is even worse than my sin because it's myself that caused me to sin. So I'm Ruby. I heard it one time. Think of the person that you hate the most or you can't stand the most. And that's really how much you love God. 
I don't know if you've heard that she says that. Think of the person that you really dislike and that the most, and that is what you really think of God. I mean, you know, that's the real unconditional love and grace coming through. I know that it's just a wake-up call. Some of these things are just good to have us think about that, you know, I thought I was fine, but you know what? He's coming after a portion of my heart today that just is, that needs to be worked on. A man is not a Jew if he's only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. In other words, he says, come on, think about it. If you're a Jew, you were born, you were born a Jew. And there isn't anything, I mean, you're, it's not that somebody became a Jew because they, they were circumcised. No, a Jew, that's a nationality. It's like, oh, the American, you know. Or Dutch or whatever. I mean, you can't as much as you would like to be something else or whatever you think sometimes. No, you are that. So he says, no, a man is a Jew if he's one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. So this morning, I just, I just thought some of these questions, do you remember when you were lost? Do you remember when you were lost? I mean, I thought that these questions kind of made you go back to your, your time where, do you remember when you were lost? When, when was it clear to you that you were a sinner and that you were lost just like everybody on this planet? And this is what I mean at that, that real conservative Dutch church. They never, I never thought about that because I never was lost. Oh, yes, you were. I'm sorry to be the one. And I have to say, a couple ladies never came back. I mean, it grew, I mean, for those who did want to hear. But, I mean, sometimes that, that truth right in your face, yes, we are all lost. So then I said, why, why were you lost? Do you know why you were lost? Because you were without a Savior. What changed that? Jesus did. I mean, it's just, it's just so easy there. That question number 11 is so easy, but it isn't easy if you don't have the answers. Is there a place and time in history that makes you see yourself and will keep you in your place? Is there a time, is there a place, is there some place that makes you see yourself and will keep you in your proper place before the Almighty God? Is there a place? Jesus, keep me near that cross. That's a place and a time in history. You keep going back to that, and you realize what that place at that time did for you. And we've revisited often because what you seem to get filled, and when you're tempted to go into that self-righteousness or a little superior attitude or you think maybe you're just a little bit better than someone else or you want to put someone else, you know what judgment is, is when you, instead of loving someone back to Jesus, you're talking about them and you're gossiping and you're, you're slandering them and you're saying, did you hear what they did? Do you know what, what in that does them no good. But you know what that's doing to you? Make you feel a little better because you didn't do that. I mean, this is pathetic. This lesson is pathetic, but because it exposes a human nature for what it really is. 
But there's such, I mean, there's such a beautiful contrast. There's such a different way that we can, we can um, change it all. But it's up to us. So what is the theme of this chapter? <laughs> it's, it's right. It, he, he just makes it so very clear. This is about me and him. And he wants to know if I'm real. And he wants me living real. Because if not, then I might as well take the name right off my back. Because my countenance, my self-righteousness is going to do more damage for his cause. It's really something to think about. I hope we do today. So have a good have a good week. <laughs>